not, it's not just automation. We learned in this past year that also the concept of where you're going to work, the walls are broken. And all those predetermined ideas we had about a workplace are gone. As I've said in the past, when you remove the physical walls, the bricks and mortar that define your workplace, all you have left is your value system is your walls. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this has been an interesting test of culture for a lot of companies in terms of can they break down the walls of the physical, have to get rid of the physical walls and still be held together as teams. I think at Automation Anywhere, we've done a remarkable job of serving our customers and making certain that we were fulfilling our obligations without having to have bricks and mortar around us. Good morning, Nancy, and welcome to The Change Alchemist. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. You have your office all set up, the office of the future. <laughs> well, instead, it's, it's the office of my future and my husband's past. Uh, my <laughs> husband's a, a musician, so you see his recording studio behind me. I know you well, Nancy, but just so our audience can get to know you a little better, let's start with a lightning round. What's your superpower, Nancy? Oh, I think my superpower is being able to see how great people are even when they don't know they are. Beautiful. Word of the year 2021. Hmm. Vaccinate. <laughs> Favorite quote. Oh, an idea that isn't dangerous isn't worthy of being called an idea. Favorite book. That's hard. To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay, good one. What was your aha moment during COVID? I had several of them. My biggest aha moment was I realized I could be cooped up with my husband for 24 hours a day for a year and still think he was the most fascinating person on earth. Oh, fantastic. Gives all of us some hope. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your most important learning after COVID? I'm, I'm assuming we're still not past it, but this year. I think my most important learning was how hard it's going to be to fully disabuse ourselves of the industrial age and that people keep saying we have to go back to work. And the truth is work came with us. We're not going anywhere to work. We know we can work from anywhere. And so that, but those models of how work should get done are really entrenched. And so that was a really interesting lesson for me this year. So Nancy, now that we know what your favorite um, book is, what your word of the year is, I'm going to go to an important question. Who's your favorite comedian? Mm -hmm. That's, I have a lot of them. I really admire comedians. I admire anybody who can take a tense moment and make us laugh during it. Currently, I, there's a couple of folks that I, I really love. Let's see, John Mulaney, love him. Jim Gaffigan love him. I love their looking at the, the normal world and reflecting back to us where we should be finding humor and silliness. But there's lots. I love Elaine Boozler because she was so early as a woman in the world of comedy and really held her own with all those guys in the 70s that dominated that field. And you did spend uh, some time in comedy and improv. Tell us a little bit about your career journey and how you came to Automation Anywhere, where you're currently CHRO. <laughs> well, it's a long journey. I'm really old, so I'll make it brief. But I did start out thinking that I would make my living in the arts, that I would be a comedy writer. I thought I would write television sitcoms or maybe a comedic novel. That's what I went to school for. And I stumbled into improvisation. 
and got to work with some interesting, well-known companies that do improv. And it became what happened then is I met my husband. We moved to New York. We're both starving artists. Someone had to get a real job and I lost the toss when we flipped the coin. <laughs> so here I am at a real job. But the truth is I found that human resources, particularly human resources in a high-tech environment, gave me all the creative outlet I needed. It gave me all the ability to invent and and use the tools I'd had. The most important one was improv. And what I discovered is a couple of things. One is there are the rules of improvisation, which is listen hard to the other person and don't fight them. Use the magic yes. And the magic yes in improv is to say yes and this, yes. And so when you have someone who has an idea, they, they get there before you, you try to build on it. If you think you have a better idea, you can bring them to your better idea by saying, yes, and how would we do this? Yes, and could we do this? So when someone brings me a problem and they say, I want to do this, they bring me a solution. And I'm thinking in my head, you could land in jail if you do that. So I always say, yes, I understand what you want to get done. But and how could we do it a little differently? So the yes, and is really magic. Good listening. Yes, and it was the, the secrets to my entire career. So when I lost the toss, I ended up in what it was called a personnel department. This is the mid seventies and, and really didn't love it, did not love it, but it was a job to support my family. And we moved back to Chicago from New York. I got another really terrible personnel job. My husband was a jingle singer by this point. He was singing commercials and he brought us to California with um, his work. I didn't know anything about Silicon Valley. I answered an ad for a company that said it made workstations, which I thought was like office furniture, like hay cubicles <laughs> or something. And it ended up being Sun Microsystems. Oh, wow. And so I went there very early with a three-digit badge number. And that was the most remarkable experience. I suddenly discovered that what a meritocracy was about, and that is high tech, is the, the ultimate meritocracy. And a really interesting thing happened. I had in my in the Midwest and the East Coast, I was always you know asked to leave things at home. Could you leave your gender at home? Could you leave your humor at home? And even could you leave your intellect at home? Because we hired you to do a job, just do what we told you. I got to Silicon Valley and I got into this high tech world and suddenly it was like, hey, you seem pretty smart. Could you bring that intellect to work with you? Because there's other things you can think about. And then, of course, it was you seem to be pretty funny. Could you bring the humor? Because we could always <laughs> use a good laugh. And then ultimately, one day someone said suddenly dawned on us that about 50 percent of the people who are buying our products are women could you bring your gender to work too? Because that might help it as well. And so it was in Silicon Valley, it's in high tech that I got to bring an integrated personality to work with me for the first time. I got to bring my whole being and particularly my sense of humor. That is that I would probably say other second to being able to see someone and imagine how great they could be in their future. Making them laugh is my second superpower. <laughs> I can totally see that. And uh, it warms my heart to uh, see that you worked at Sun too. It was an amazing company and I, I have very fond memories of Sun. Oh, yes. Me um, too. Yeah. And it's it, true meritocracy, I would agree. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to talk about where you are now. You work as CHRO at Automation Anywhere, which is where I work too. Yes. And you're an amazing leader. 
tell me a little bit about your role, but also the role of HR in a rapidly evolving uh, world post-COVID. Oh, okay. So I'll tell you, the first story I'll tell you is about how I uh, was enticed to come to Automation Anywhere. It is my privilege to be in this job. It is just a highlight of my career. And I became really intrigued about Automation Anywhere when our CEO, Mihir, said to me one day during the interview process, Nancy, what do you think the role of human resources will be when 30% of the workforce isn't human? And I thought, boy, if there's something I'd like to solve before I retire, that's, that is a nice crunchy thing to really grapple with. And so I was compelled, I had to come aboard. And that really is kind of the definition of the role I have, which is not just to serve um, the teammates we have at Automation Anywhere and make certain that there's an environment in which they can thrive and grow and have their dreams come true, but also to make certain that we're making those down payments on what that future looks like. Now, it's not just automation. We learned in this past year that also the concept of where you're going to work, you know, the walls are broken. And all those predetermined ideas we had about a workplace are gone. As I've said in the past, when you remove the physical walls, the bricks and mortar that define your workplace, all you have left is your value system is your walls. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this has been an interesting test of culture for a lot of companies in terms of can they break down the walls of the physical, have to get rid of the physical walls and still be held together as teams. I think at Automation Anywhere, we've done a remarkable job of serving our customers and making certain that we were fulfilling our obligations without having to have bricks and mortar around us. Yeah. So it looks like you're comfortable. I remember always had a column on LinkedIn and you would post a picture as, you know, view from my window. Yes. Now your view from your window has probably changed. Do you think you'll ever come back to a uh, regular campus and post those pictures again? Or do you feel like we're all going to be remote? What's your view on the future of work? I think that the world will be far more customized for each person's comfort and contribution. I can imagine for me, I am pretty old, slightly high risk group for COVID. And so I want to make certain the world's pretty safe before I'm back in groups, in intimate groups like that. By the same token, I still, I have social need. I certainly want to be among the group. I think that it's fun to stand at a whiteboard and fight over a pen because you're drawing a picture together, right? It, that's, that is kind of the creative part that we have not had very comfortably this year. And we all miss it, the collaboration. And so I think maybe our workplaces will become more collaborative spaces, less spaces where you go to do your individual work so someone can supervise you. That We know we don't need that but more that I need to connect with somebody. We, I have an idea and I'd like to see in their eyes real time. And I need someone to be able to interrupt me without the millisecond delay, that engagement, that very rich engagement process. People long for it, they ache for it. And we have to make certain that there's a, an environment where they're gonna be safe doing it. So the future of work, I think is gonna be configured for each individual who appreciates their commute because it gives them downtime Who's thinking right now, oh, please don't ever make me do a 90-minute commute again, right? I'd rather be working from home or with my kids for that time, but being stuck in traffic, that just is a waste of capacity. So I think we're going to, and there are other people, though, who say, please, I, I can't work at home. It's really uncomfortable, and can you please give me a place to work every day in the office? 
work at a custom configure, I believe. So one size doesn't fit all. It could be a hybrid How model and really depends on the company too. One size fits all is an absolute, that is absolutely the industrial age, isn't it? The concept of widgets, perfect standardization, and you believe that efficiency came from all of that and probably efficiency does, but we have automated colleagues to take care of efficiency. Human beings are about creativity and innovation and higher order problem solving. There's no efficient way to listen to a customer's concern and respond creatively, right? That's not efficient. And so um, what that is, creative, and that is um, the human brain at work. So that one size fits all thing, that's exactly the model of we have a rule for everyone. Well, I think we've learned that doesn't work. That's not going to work so well going forward. So human resources then becomes, back to Mahir's question, human resources becomes very much about the human beings at work and how you make each one of them thrive, how you help each one grow toward their hopes and dreams aligned with what we have to do for an or, as an organization, of course, but that's not one size fits all. That's going to be, and I'm giddy with the prospect of how do we solve that. Yeah, I right? think it's an it's, exciting time. It's truly it is. is. Yeah, the, the old Chinese proverb, uh, may you live in interesting times, yeah. hasn't been truer, but I want right. to put a positive spin on it and interesting That's could right. be good. That's right. It, that was always, that was, I, I was always expressed to me as a Chinese curse, may you live in interesting <laughs> times. <laughs> yes. So uh, one of the things you talked about earlier was coming to tech and finding it to be more meritocratic from yeah. other environments you might have been at. Um, I want to drill a little deeper into that, especially from a, a gendered lens. Um, how do you feel things have changed for women over the years? And you're a successful tech leader. What has changed? What has not changed? With COVID, a lot of women have been forced to stay at home, especially young mothers, and care for their children as well as work <laughs> full time. Has this changed some of the dynamics in terms of women actually making progress? And if so, what can we do to make sure that women are more supported at work? Uh, well, we need to do a lot to make certain women are supported at work and all parents, I will say both. I think one of the things about COVID, about being uh, working from home and being in these Zoom situations is it's been in some ways a great leveling uh, tool. I think that suddenly it's not just moms who've been home with kids at school, home too. Unlike when a woman took a, a leave to have a baby or parental leave, um, often the world is just going forward without her and she would feel like I'm falling behind and how can I catch up and this is unfair and, and all of which is true. In this situation, we're, we were all in the same boat. And one of the things that I think that COVID has done for us, a small silver lining, is that it has leveled the playing field. Suddenly we realize there are things like proximity bias right? That if you're in the office every day and all the executives see you walking by their offices, obviously we have one image of you different than we, what we have of someone who's remote. And so if you use remote worker, and that could be of any gender, we've leveled the playing field. We now all know what that feels like to be remote. And am I getting the communication? And am I included? That We all feel that now. But what has been beneficial about this is that it's a, this has affected everyone in the exact same way. My sense from 
the male executives I've been dealing with is that suddenly I see a different kind of empathy for the role of women, for what has been the traditional role of women, which is if a kid gets sick, it's generally the woman who adjusts her time or day in order to participate with that. And I see a very different approach. Questions that come to me about, are, are we sure that's okay for parents? Have you tested this with the women's empowerment circle in terms of there's a very different sensitivity to how women are building their careers. And of course, recently in our company, we had a cycle of promotions of people to vice president. And I was thrilled that over 50% of the promotions were women this time. And I think that has a great deal to do with COVID. And the, again, we got rid of proximity bias and we could present people with a very, very level playing field this time. So That's great to know. That's great mm-hmm. to hear. Things are actually improving for some women. Um, yes. I, we have a long way to go. We have a very long way to go. You know, at one point in my career, one of my managers, I was a little disappointed in the increase he had given me. And he said, don't you think you make enough for a mom? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the 1980s. He made an assumption that my husband was out working in high tech somewhere else. And and so he assumed that a secondary income, this was a good income for a secondary income. That was eye-opening to me that people still thought that way. Now it's almost 40 years ago. But we still have, we haven't covered as much ground as we should have in the past 40 years. Talk to me a little bit about future of work and automation. Um, A little bit about what Automation Anywhere does. It's the Wild West. AI, (laughs) ML, automation, these are changing the world. Um, From your vantage point, how does that impact the future of work? It entirely impacts the future of work. I think that the concept of every knowledge-based worker having personal assistance that they can offload that percentage of work that that isn't using their brains as well as they should be. One of our founders, Ankur Kathari, said to me one day, if I ask you what you do for a living, you're going to tell me the most complex thing. And so, and he's, you're right. If you ask me what I do for a living, oh, CHRO, I set strategy, I make big decisions. Oh, you know, aren't I important? And then you ask me, well, what else do you do? And I said, well, the truth is I am pretty hands-on when it comes to some executive recruiting and compensation issues. Yeah, I get my, I'm, I'm right in it. And then you ask me a third thing and I will say, yeah, I have some emails I hate responding to. I have about, I, and personally, I have about 300 emails a day that I just have to delete. They're from sources that I have no interest in. And so it dawned on me one day, I could write a bot to do that, 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 Some of those things that we do every day, no matter what level you are in an organization, you you have to stop and think about, why am I doing this? I could have a bot do it. Now, I don't want my, I could just stop doing it and let my email fill up with them. That's just going to create chaos. And I'm pretty, uh, yeah, I'm pretty organized. So getting a bot to go in and clear out, making some rules and having that bot clear out my emails has been a lifesaver for me. That's a very small thing. It's amazing. And so now you think about people who have routine tasks. I often tell the story of Sarah, who used to create our headcount report. And when we built the bot to do that head report, at first she was a little concerned because she wasn't, she had a lot of visibility with all the executives because she created this report and she had to explain it. Once the bot did it, 
Now, Sarah said, I'm never doing that again. And I won't even work for somebody who does that manually because that's an IQ test they failed. And suddenly the way she got to have her visibility with the executives was by building a great intern program and being able to work with them around what kind of skills do we want to build for the future? That's a lot more impressive work and a lot better way to have visibility than talking about, did we count this temporary employee correctly? And did we get this one in, in, in the right geography? Much better showcase for Sarah and her career shows it. So that's when, when I think about the future of work, I think about the effect on me personally of automation. And then I think about the effect on the organization and the career careers of the people that work for me with as we've introduced automation into HR. One of the things that strikes me as I look at your career and um, your career journey is that you've taken a nonlinear career path, right? And I, I do think that people in the future of work will have different jobs, different careers, because the world around us is changing so rapidly. So with yes. that said, is there any advice you'd like to give our younger listeners about career planning, about choosing a career, about finding their passion? Absolutely. And I think that my parents' generation, which was the World War II generation, you, they were very institutionalized in some ways, right? A whole generation of people put all of their faith into the military, and then they built corporations that look like the military. And they expected that you would, you know, join a company and stay 25 or 30 years, and you would retire from that company. And that company and you were branded together. Of course, with the baby boomers, there were so many more of us. We couldn't really all stay in those big companies. We, we created companies in order to achieve full employment. The real birth of entrepreneurism in the United States came with the baby boomers in the um, 70s and 80s. And by the way, that's because that's the beneficiary as well of the GI Bill of World War II. Mm-hmm. It led to an appetite for a lot more higher education. And so suddenly we've got a lot more of these companies up and coming. as we think about the next generation, we think about how people need to build their careers. Now, I was considered, my parents' generation, they all thought I was a lunatic. I, I, I left jobs too quickly as far as they were concerned. I didn't stick. The longest I ever worked anywhere was Sun Microsystems for 10 years. And after 10 years at Sun, I remember thinking to myself, wow, I go recruit people out of Hewlett-Packard and other big companies and say, you've been there too long, mix it up. You have to take a risk. You have to learn something new. And so after 10 years of Sun, I thought, wow, I have to mix it up. I have to learn something new. I love Sun. I could stay here forever, but I'm not certain that's the best thing for my brain and my career. So you're right. I started then a very kind of circuitous path. My advice is that you have to go with your curiosities. And I think that it's easy to deny curiosity. I think it's easy to say, I don't have time for it. Uh, It's easy to say, oh, I'm on a path here and I can really see it. And sometimes you sacrifice a little bit of security in order to scratch these itches in your brain. And I don't think I've ever been disappointed. My career has never been impeded by scratching an itch in my brain. And so when someone came to me and said, there's this company that makes bagels. But that's not really what they're about. What they're really about is a value set that they'd like to imbue into the community. Wow, I, that was interesting. So that's, there was an itch in my brain about how companies create their cultures and how you make certain your values are really behavioralized. And so I followed that to really 
deep dive, learn about that. Noah's Bagels was spectacular for me because it was that learning process about how do you really operationalize values. I had my own consulting firm. I was a venture capitalist for a period of time. I have founded a couple of technology companies. And so I've done a lot of things, but it's always because I was just curious about what that thing was going to do. I've always been attracted to things that disrupt a little bit, that don't seem as though they're, that, that seem as though they might be able to give height and distance to the world we're currently in, just like automation anywhere. It gives us height and distance into the future. And so that's my advice is take a few risks, scratch those itches in your brain and stay really curious. That is what gives you, that gives you more purview into opportunity. Thank you, Nancy. It's been such a pleasure. Is there any way people can get started with automation, get on this journey? Absolutely. I think that there's, you look around, there's a lot of low hanging fruit for automation. And certainly you can reach out to me or anyone at Automation Anywhere, and we will help you start the journey. The on-ramp is easy to, to use this technology. It is the most exciting thing I've seen in terms of technology for the, the workplace and the human being in my 40-year career. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Change Alchemist. Be sure to catch previous episodes and stay tuned for another exciting episode next week.